So we're going to pop back into our Old Testament survey. And when you do an Old Testament survey, you move pretty quick through the Scripture. Um, and, and, but I had to slow it down a little because I needed to spend a little more time in Exodus than I originally, originally mapped out. So uh, we'll get Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy probably next week. Initially, I had them all in, and I, there's just no way I can talk through all that in, uh, in the time allotted. And I want to spend some time in Exodus because um, Exodus, the theme of Exodus is, runs throughout the Bible. And so we, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll read and talk about what's going on in the book of Exodus. But the, the idea of Exodus is that we are, God rescues us from bondage and slavery. Uh, and the picture is him rescuing the, the children of Israel from the bondage and slavery in Egypt but the the bigger picture for us is him doing that for us with sin. He's rescuing us from our bondage and slavery to sin. He makes a way possible in Christ for us to be freed from that. And that's our exodus. Uh, and so when you're looking at what you're reading in the exodus, you have to understand we have our own exodus in Christ. And um, and then, then a lot of things start to make sense. And you see what's happening and going through the Red Sea is like being baptized and all the stuff that happens as it points to Christ. So we have to be aware of what's going on. And then we just finished a little talk on Genesis and obviously it wasn't exhaustive because I did it in a like a 30 minute period. And if you if you really want to go deep in that a few years ago, four years ago, five years ago, somewhere it's in there. I did a Genesis and it took me 50 weeks. So uh, so we did it in a little different time span. That's the difference between the survey and then digging into it kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So, uh, but if you can remember in Genesis, the things that you really need to remember, and I told you this last week, but if you didn't get them, get them this way. There's, there's four sort of events that start the book that, that you need to know. It is creation, and it's the fall, and it's the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Those big four events are world-changing. And then it's the... The patriarchs, it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. So that's really what happens with those guys covers pretty much the book of Genesis. And at the end of Genesis, um, Jacob, Israel, goes into Egypt where because of the famine. Uh, there's a giant famine. Remember, Joseph is in place now to, to provide for them. And so that's when we see Israel move into Egypt. Then over time, what happens is the pharaohs change and times change, and they, they forget everything that they knew about uh, these people that they were supposed to take care of, and they, they became slaves in Egypt. And it was very difficult for them. And, uh, and then God intervenes some 400 years into that, and delivers them and rescues them, and that's the exodus that we have. So we're going to head there in a minute. I'll talk more about that as we go. But just kind of a survey. So when you start to read Exodus, the first chapter, it's all about the captivity of the, the people of Israel while they're in Egypt. And then in Exodus 2, we, we get introduced to Moses, who's a pretty big player uh, in all of our lives uh, as a believer. So Moses was the, the one that God raised up to um, deliver. Uh, Israel, um, but we actually get the one of the best histories of Moses from the book of Acts. So um, Moses was born. So, you know, we'll, we'll put dates on things, but remember, there's because of genealogies and stuff, they're flexible. But somewhere around 1526 BC, um, uh, in that sort of area, somewhere in there. But in Acts 7, from 20 to 36, uh, the martyr Stephen. 
he begins to speak. And he says, at that time, Moses was born and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. And when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. And when Moses was 40 years old, he decided he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not see. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. And when he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come and I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom um, they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. Though the angel who appeared, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush, and he led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. So we, we sort of, um, we get some history of what's going to happen with Moses and, and uh, how the, the people of God understood it at the time of Christ anyway. So then if you were sort of following along in that, in Exodus chapter 3, that's where the story of the burning bush happens. And um, those, the, there is a type of bush that is known to sort of burst into flame, but they, they actually burst into flame and go away. This bush burst into flame and it wasn't burning. That's what got Moses' attention. And, and it wasn't until Moses walked over to it and took heed of it that God started to deal with him um, and speak to him. And that's why I always say, you know, we, we need to go through this life with our eyes open, um, looking for Jesus in, in our lives. I, I've been encouraging you to look for him in the scripture uh, because this is his story, but, but to look for what he's doing. And we, we often get so sort of focused that we're not seeing at all. Uh, we don't see the things that are happening around us that God is, is putting right in front of us. And until we stop and pay attention, we're going to miss God. That's, Moses, if he had just gone, oh, that's one of those bushes that burns, he, he would have missed what was going on. But he didn't. He saw it, and that's when God began to speak to him. So uh, in chapter 4, he goes back to Egypt. Now, that was a big deal for Moses because he fled knowing that people knew that he was a murderer. He took off because he'd killed somebody. Um, and uh, he, he stayed away for 40 years for fear of going back. And yet God sends him back, tells him to go back, um, not without some debate on Moses' part. But uh, the situation in Egypt is, is dire for the people of Israel um, in, in chapter 5. So Moses begins to go to Pharaoh and starts to say, hey, let my people go. And Pharaoh won't hear of it. And he says, you, you know, you, you want to go out and into the wilderness um, to, to worship your God. It means you have too much spare time on your hand. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to make you, uh, they were making bricks. 
um, you're going to keep making bricks, but now we're not going to give you the straw. They needed straw as part of it. And so now they have to get their own straw and their bricks. So the, the people uh, of, of Israel were not very happy with Moses because he was making it worse, not better. And that was what they saw. And you remember that they chased him out the first time. Who made you ruler and judge over us? And now Moses has stepped in. But uh, as, as Moses sort of debates this whole thing with God in Exodus 6, God says, I am and I will. We said it was a great song to sing, that great I am today. And uh, appreciated that very much because God says, I am. I'm going to do it. I am. I am who I am. And that's all you need to know, Moses. Just, just trust in that. And so Moses again says, okay. You remember, you know, Moses uh, is, is not perfect. Again, I love the fact that God uses imperfect people. Um, it would be a very hard book to read if he only used perfect people. A, because there wasn't any, <laughs> except for Jesus. And B, it would exclude all of us from being involved in the kingdom. But because God is very good at using broken, imperfect people, it gives us all a role in, in the kingdom and in, in his story. So that's a, a wonderful thing for us. And then um, in Exodus 7, the ten plagues begin. Now, you, most of you are familiar with that story uh, of the plagues, and the, and the plagues begin to happen, and, and the plagues are um, what takes place in order to get Pharaoh to release his hold on the people of Israel. And, and they begin, and they, they sort of get worse and worse and worse. And Pharaoh often sort of relents in the process to get something to stop. He says, okay, okay, you can go. And then he changes his mind as soon as the plague is stopped. And he says, no, no, never mind, change my mind. And uh, Pharaoh's got a hardened heart and doesn't want to hear it. Part of Pharaoh's issue is, remember, um, the Pharaohs thought they were God. So, and the Egyptians had a lot of gods. They had gods for a lot of different things, sun gods and moon gods and this god and that god. But Pharaoh was kind of the top dog for all of them. He was, and, and they thought of themselves as God. So when Moses came up and said, our God wants us to get out of here, it was a, it was a challenge and a threat to Pharaoh. And he wasn't going to have it and he wasn't here of it. So the plagues start to happen. And, uh, and you can start reading about those in chapter 7. And the, the first plague is, is the, the plague of you know the blood. The waters turn to blood. And then the, in chapter 8, the next one is gross, is the frog one. You, you ever read the one about frogs? There's like everywhere frogs. Like you can't get away from the frogs. I'm not a big fan of frogs. Some people don't care about frogs, but frogs make me a little... Not, it's not a good thing. I try and be cool around them, but I don't feel cool on the inside at all. And I'm not sure why. We had so one night... It's probably six or seven years ago now. <laughs> I'm I'm asleep. I'm asleep, and I feel something. And I <laughs> I go like this, and then it leaves. And then I hear my wife scream. <laughs> and I and she ah frog. <laughs> I was like oh it was on me too. And uh, it is squeezed through the window. And you know one of those. Those, those frogs are amazing, right? They can, they can make themselves almost flat getting through situations. Anyway, that's got nothing to do with this. But when I, when I think about the plagues, you, you try and think about how severe they were. I mean, you know, the, the blood and the water, it, it tainted all the drinking water. Um, frogs everywhere. Frogs upon frogs. Just horrible. Uh, the next one was gnats. You know how annoying gnats are? You get those little gnats around here sometimes and you almost make you want to lose your mind. Um, 
They had, they had nets. And followed by swarms of flies. Um, we, right after the hurricane here, we had an abundance of flies. I don't know if you, ever, if you guys noticed that. It was ridiculous. And, and that was nothing compared to what... I mean, they couldn't get a break. And, and uh, just fly, flies everywhere uh, in the process. Uh, and then in uh, chapter 9, there's the plague on the livestock. And so the, the Egyptian cattle is, is livestock and sheep and everything. It's destroyed, but not the cattle that the people of Israel have in the process. There's a significant difference between what God's doing in, in areas in Egypt. Um, then there's the plague of boils. Not fun. Uh, and then hail. Have you ever been in a hailstorm? Any of you been in a place where there's hail? Hail is extremely damaging and uh, very, very dangerous. And then followed up with locusts. That's the eight. When you would think any of these would do the trick with Pharaoh, I'd have, been, I'd have given in after the frogs. I might not have made it through the blood one, but, but frogs would have done me in. Whatever you want, frogs. Just make them go. Locusts everywhere, locusts. And then darkness was the ninth one. Pitch, couldn't see. Couldn't see your hand in front of your face. That kind of dark. And, and you know, dark was um, uh, up until recent history, night times were the worst times for everything. It's when you start reading prayers from the church uh, in the 1400s and 1500s. The big deal was, was that they, they got up and thanked God that they'd made it through the night. Because all sides of bad things happened at night because there was no, no electricity, no lighting. And so all the, all the bad stuff really happened at night. And they were in this constant darkness for a little while um, that took place. And then the tenth one was significant in a lot of ways. So the tenth one was the death of the firstborn in Egypt. And, and uh, the death of the firstborn was significant. It was ultimately the one that that said to Pharaoh just finally said, let him go. Of course, he changes his mind again and chases after him, but that's, we'll get there. But um, when, you, when you read about that one, see, there's a lot of things that start to connect with what happens for us at the cross. So, um, and the Passover, and everything that was celebrated in the Passover, and why they celebrated Passover. So in Exodus 12:7, let me read to you what happens. So this, this plague is coming. And here's what the people of Israel need to do. They're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. So what they were told to do was they were to select a, um, a, a perfect young lamb, one-year-old lamb, without defect or blemish. They needed to, they couldn't just, any, it needed to be a lamb that was, in, you know, good. And actually they had to take it in their homes for a few days. Um, people don't always read that, but... But they would actually take it, and the idea was they would, they would sort of get to know this little lamb. So the sacrifice it was about to make was more significant, not just any old lamb. They, they had already made some sort of connection with the lamb. And they were to kill this lamb, and they were to take some of the blood, and they were to put it on the doorposts over their houses. And all the people of Israel did this, and then that, uh, that night the angel of death came. And when the, where, wherever the blood was, where the blood covered the doorpost, he passed over the people in that house. He passed over the firstborn in that house. That's where we get that and what that means. And the, the picture of that now is that that's what the blood of Jesus does for us. 
the blood of Jesus covers us so that, that we don't experience death. You know, we, we're going to shed these bodies, right? But we, we, in Christ, we live forever. Because of the blood of Jesus, we live forever in him. And uh, so it's a picture of that that's happening, and it's very significant. And I always think, uh, you know, when you read that, you, you need to think about what it must have felt like to be the firstborn sons throughout Israel, right? Because they, they really don't have a big clue at this point in time who God is. That, that's, they've been in bondage for so long, they've sort of lost that concept because God's going to have to take them and reteach them who he is. And so they don't have a lot of that, and now they have this promise. Now, they've, they do have, fortunately, they've seen... God at work supernaturally in the course of the plagues. All of that was to build their trust, by the way, so they could see that this God is, is who he says he is, and he's doing what he said he would do time after time after time after time. Ten times they saw it there. Um, it, it's also demonstrating to Pharaoh, who said he was God, that there is a real God. That's also part of the process, and all the people of Egypt. But I often uh, imagine what it would have felt like to be the firstborn son in those houses that night. And just wondering what was going to happen. Uh, and so that's enough to finally tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, let him go. And uh, they go. They start to leave. The, uh, you know, the other thing they do is they, they go to all of their neighbors, the Egyptian neighbors, and they say, hey, we need to, we need to have some, uh, some jewelry and some, all your good plates and everything. We're going to go out and worship God for a few days. And... Uh, and so they get all this stuff because the Egyptians are kind of happy to give it to them because of everything that's happened. And that's sort of payment for 400 years because uh, they don't bring that stuff back. <laughs> but they're going to use all that stuff, and they all do pretty well because when they start to build the tabernacle and everything, that's the money that they're bringing in to make that happen and the jewelry that happens. So um, we get to Exodus 13. Uh, and let me in verse 21 by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night so God's with this big group as he's moving them out and then they come to the Red Sea and uh, this is significant so so what's happened is they've, they've gotten to the Red Sea so they're kind of trapped there uh, and and Pharaoh starts coming after them Pharaoh changes his mind because it, for, for them, for the, for the Egyptians and Pharaoh, it was economics as much as anything. This was their labor force, and he just let them loose. And, and now the plague has been lifted, and, and even though they're dealing with the death of the first point, he's like, we just cut loose our labor force. Let's go get them. And he takes his army, and he goes after them. Um, verse 19 of Exodus 14. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of God also moved... Um, from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left, and the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and clouded the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off, so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. 
The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared their Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So they've seen the plagues and now they've seen the parting of the Red Sea and they're trusting God. And that lasts for about a day. In, in three days' time, we get to that story I told you Sunday. I'm, I'm jumping ahead, where they they're thirsty, and they all they, they really complain a lot this entire trip. Um, but God has to; they don't know Him yet, and so He's showing Himself. And, and you know, I often I used to think to myself, oh well, if I'd seen the parting of the Red Sea, I would never doubt again. But I, I, I don't know about you, but I've seen God move miraculously in my life, time after time after time, and it. It's, it doesn't take a whole lot to all of a sudden stop trusting him, which is on us. But he's there, and, and we have to learn to trust. And, and you know, most of this life, this walk, um, is, is us really learning that we can trust him, that he's good, that he's got us, in the midst of circumstances that we don't understand or that are difficult. And that's what he wants. He wants us to trust him. He's got us. He wants us to learn. Exodus 15, there's a big song of victory. Then Moses, uh, verse 1 and 2, And the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is mighty, highly exalted. The horse and his rider has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. So there's a song that always goes in my head. You guys, She knew I was going to do it, too. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. And then you do this. Pretty good, right? That'll be on the test. <laughs> That's a horse. Doesn't it sound like a horse? Never mind. Okay. So um, they they praise God and and all is well, and then um, then they they begin their journey. So we get to Exodus 16, and uh, this is about 45 days in verse three. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So it doesn't take long for them to forget everything that they've seen. And they just figure God's a big meanie. Because they, they, do you see how, and they, this is another problem that we have. So they were in slavery and bondage. It was horrific for hundreds of years. It was horrible. They were treated horribly. But they're going back to say, at least when we were back there, we ate uh, all the food we wanted, which wasn't true. But they, they start... Sometimes when you're going through life, you, you, you might mistakenly look back and think that something was better than it was, but you're making it better than it really was. And uh, we have that tendency, once we've been sometimes delivered and rescued, like the people of God were, to, to sometimes think... We sort of feel pulled back to the other side of the Red Sea. And you have to know there's no life back there. Life is in Christ for us. So God provides manna and quail for them. And uh, so they had a a good thing going. The 
I always like this story about man. I think I talked about it the other day. But so God's teaching them to trust him, right? So he says, okay, there'll be manna for six days. Uh, every day you, you go out and you get enough manna for the day. That's all you get. And on the sixth day, I'm going to give you enough manna for two days. Go ahead and gather what you need for two days because nobody's going to work on the Sabbath. And the people of Israel say, sure, great. And then they go out and that they gather more manna than they should that first day because they don't trust God. They they sort of trust in themselves, and they, they can't understand that God's provision is God's provision, and they, so they hoard a bunch of it. And everything that they hoard that's over the one day's allotment gets wormy and maggoty and turns bad and smells bad. And, and uh, they learn a lesson pretty quick to listen to what God says and do it God's way. So God provided for them um, everything they needed, manna, which was like really good bread, and uh, quail. They had, you know, fowl to eat, so... They were good. Exodus 17, um, they get water from, from a rock, and that's pretty significant because uh, uh, God tells Moses to hit the rock or get the rock, get water out of the rock, and Moses Moses smacks it with a stick twice in frustration, and that gets Moses in trouble because he uh, wasn't supposed to do it twice. Um, because once would have been enough, but he's upset and he smacks it twice. So for that, Moses. Moses gets to see the promised land from a distance, but he doesn't go in. But he set a good run. Um, Paul mentions this whole thing, what happens there at the rock, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. And so there's a, there's a type of Christ in that whole story and what's happening there. Exodus 18, Jethro, that's Moses' father-in-law. He helps uh, Moses get organized because everybody was coming to Moses with all their problems and he was trying to be the judge for all of them. And Jethro looks at it and says, you can't do that. There's too many people. And so he breaks them into groups. Um, he selects capable people and makes them officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So they set that up. Exodus 19, um, sort of just to give you a date, that's about the third month that the, uh, the Hebrews have come to the desert um, of Sinai. And then in Exodus 20, this is a big one, that's the Ten Commandments. Uh, and so I'm going to read the Ten Commandments. I want to say something about the commandments. The commandments, they're even called the law, but they were never intended to be a law thing. They're a love thing. And what happens is these are the ways that we're supposed to treat people when we love them. Because some people think this is how they get the law confused with how we earn our deliverance and and our being rescued by God, our very salvation. And you have to know that these were put into place after the rescue. The, the people had already been delivered. They'd already been set free. They'd already been rescued from slavery and bondage. The Ten Commandments come along as a, as a way that the, God's people are supposed to love one another and what that looks like. But we, we quickly got that turned around, and we still tend to do that. But um, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
You shall not misuse the name of your Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That's not swear words, just so you know. That's like um, being part of the family of God and not living up to it. It's more along those lines. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter nor your maidservant or manservant nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The other thing that got really messed up was Sabbath. Um, They put all these restrictions on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made as a day of rest. It was, it was to be the highlight of the week. The Sabbath was the best day, not the worst day. The Sabbath was the day you look forward to. The Sabbath was a day when you didn't have to work. You got to hang out with God. You got to hang out with your family. You got to reconnect. You got to rest. You got to recreate. That's what Sabbath was intended to be. But they put all these regulations on it, and they made it a misery for people and a burden for people. And that's not what it was intended to be. Sabbath... Uh, even today, when we, we think about taking a time during the week where we, we, it should be the highlight of your week. It should be the week where you get to, you get to hang out with your family and you, you, you get to recreate a little and you get to do the things you like to do. Um, you just don't work. But our culture struggles with that uh, a lot. And, and uh, it's also a trust issue because if we can't lay it down one day a week, it really means that we're not trusting God because we think we have to go all the time. And so... Uh, Sabbath was intended, and Jesus comes back and tries to straighten that out with people. You guys got this backwards. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath should be a joy in our lives. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land your God is giving you. That's the, one of those things with a, with a promise. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So all those things, are that's a love thing. If you love people, you're not going to do those things. And the Ten Commandments, really, when you look at them, the first three are about loving God. The last six are about loving others. Number four is the Sabbath. And I really think that that's the idea of loving ourselves, is that we understand that that's a day for us to connect to God. It's a it's a, it's a day for us to rest and, and to reflect and to recreate. It's, it's where we, we ultimately take care of ourselves so that we can continue to, to love God and love others well. And so that's the importance of that one. And that's when, when Jesus summarizes the, the Ten Commandments. That's exactly what he says, right? Love God all in. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's them. But they're a love thing, not a law thing. So try and hold that intention as you read through that. Um, and then as we move into Exodus, towards the end, they, they get instructions for building the, the tabernacle and um, how that's going to look. And remember the, remember the big issue that's going on here. Time. Okay. So when, when creation happened, right? God in, in the garden, he makes a place where, where heaven and earth meet. God's there and he walks with Adam and Eve and there's a place where they connect. There's a cosmic temple. It takes place in creation. That's what, that's what that whole picture is. It's a, this cosmic temple. But then because of sin, heaven and earth are separated again because there's, they can't be that way. So when the picture of tabernacle comes, tabernacle, there's going to be a place, once again, inside the tabernacle, 
besides behind big curtains and everything, there's going to be one place on earth where heaven and earth meet. Nobody has access but the high priest, and then only once a year, but there's that place. And, and that tabernacle is built, and it travels with them until they build a temple. And then in the temple, God's presence comes. There's a place where heaven and earth meet until the temple is destroyed. We talked about that. And now there's no place where heaven and earth meet. It's the Babylonians destroyed in around 500 B.C. And so there's an issue. And the prophets start to speak into that and say, listen, something's going to happen. And one's going to come along. And there's going to be a time when, when heaven and earth meet again. And they, they build the temple. They rebuild the temple after the Babylonian captivity. But the presence of God doesn't show up and until Jesus comes. And remember I said Jesus is the temple, in effect. And Jesus is the place where heaven and earth meet. And then the cool thing is, because of the Holy Spirit, now we're the place where heaven and earth meet. We're, we're the temple. That's what Paul says. We're, we're walking temples. We're the place where heaven and earth meet. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us as believers. Really cool when you, when you see it that way. Exodus 32. We just talked about this Sunday, the whole, um, the whole golden calf thing, and what that means, and... Uh, how bad that sin was, and, and, and yet the, the Ten Commandments were written on stone, and it was the, the Word of God, and, and the physical form is broken because of the sin of the people. It's a picture of Jesus. Uh, but be, even back then, be, because it was broken, um, it couldn't stay broken because the Word is eternal, and so God gives, bring me more tablets. He does it again. Same thing with Jesus. He's broken because of our sin, but He can't stay broken because the Word is eternal, so He's resurrected in the process Moses is always interceding for these people. <laughs> I love it too. If you read this, so you'll see Mo- Moses. God will God will go to Moses. Your people are a mess, Moses. And Moses goes, those aren't my people. Those are your people. And uh, but Moses will intercede for them and, and uh, in the process and and move into those things. Uh, the people repent. Uh, the tabernacle set up in Exodus thirty-five through forty. And that's about 13 months after the Exodus began. So about a year and a month, they get the tabernacle. Um, Exodus 40:17 dates that. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. So um, there you sort of see the chronology. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on in Exodus. Um, but take time and, and read that and, and um, go through that because you'll, you'll get a lot out of it. Thinking, though, about our Exodus in Christ and how those things begin to tie together. And we're going to end it there, and we will pick that discussion up next week in Leviticus. If you're watching by video, thanks for watching. Glad you did. Come and join us when you can. We'll see you soon. Bye. All right, if you have prayer requests, you can pass them up to me. Thank you. Kim's going to pick them up. I'll pray for you, and we will call it an evening. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.